0: Hello, and welcome to the BookSmarts podcast, where we talk about publishing data and technologies and send you away with some insights that will help you sell more books. I'm your host, Joshua Talent. So, this week on the BookSmarts podcast, I'm excited to have Thad McElroy. Uh, Thad is an electronic publishing analyst and an author based in San Francisco and Vancouver. Uh, He has a site called The Future of Publishing that provides in-depth coverage of the book publishing industry. And if you haven't seen any of Thad's articles, you need to go take a look and read what he writes. Uh, He is a partner in Publishing Technology Partners and an adjunct professor in the Master's Publishing Program at Pace University in New York. Hey, Thad, thanks for joining me. Well, thank you, Joshua.
1: Love, love to get
0: together and talk metadata with you. Oh, yeah, this is going to be fun. I, I love talking about metadata, and you're one of those people that, you know, we should be able to talk about metadata forever, although we're <laughs> going to limit it. We're going to keep it shorter. Uh, but, yeah, it's the kind of thing that I think, uh, you know, we need to talk about more. So we were chatting before we started recording about uh, how metadata is handled by publishers and what we think some of the big issues are. So what, what do you think one of, just pick an, ish, an issue that you think publishers need to be thinking about uh, when they think about metadata? Let's go to
1: fundamentals, and you know, where what's sort of the state of metadata today? So if you if you go into an average publisher, and you say metadata, well, when I started in this, you know, the, the conversation ended right there. It Doesn't <laughs> end that, there anymore. You know that you you get a degree of familiarity, you get a degree of comfort, but what you don't get is a comprehensive understanding right. they have. In in my view a very superficial view of metadata because it it's technical and they're not technical people.
0: Yeah. So it's kind of underappreciated in many ways. I think so. Very yeah. much so. And so obviously large publishers get that, right? A lot of large publishers have very large metadata teams. They have people who are dedicated to dealing with metadata issues and and thinking about how the data goes out. Uh, I think you're 100% right, though, that especially, you know, midsize and smaller publishers tend to kind of run, run aground on the issue uh, and think that it's a bigger problem, like uh, something beyond my scope or something beyond my ability. Uh, and that kind of puts a block a blockade in their mind to keep them from wanting to pursue it too deeply because they're just worried about how deep you have to get.
1: Yeah. Um, one of the things I'm thinking as you're describing that, it's, it's you know, is metadata, clerical or is it strategic? Right. And there's, you know, I think probably is the the hole they fall into. They think they can hire a clerk to Mm -hmm. do it and just fill in those little boxes. And having filled in those little boxes, they sit back and and feel satisfied. And my, you know, major uh, push to all of them is you have to think of this as strategic. You have to realize that there is an ROI and I, I try and point out to them that metadata is not merely quantitative, it's qualitative. Yep. You, know, you can say to someone, make sure you've got a description of the book. Well, of course, they're going to have a description of the book. But what does that description say? Mm-hmm. And when I look at the average publisher's description, it's very passive because they grew up creating flaps, you know, creating the hardcover <laughs> flap or the back cover. And those tended to be you know, written in a passive form. And the description that's going to sell a book has to be very active. It has to convert.
0: Yeah, and this is that whole idea. I keep on saying constantly that you know, your metadata is your most important non-people resource. It is the thing that as a publisher, uh, you know, it, obviously you pay your employees and you have some sort of system in place for making sure they get their uh, PTO and they get insurance and all these other things we deal with on an employee basis but if we if we were to do the same kind of thing with our metadata we would put a lot more emphasis on it in the publishing world we would have um, uh, systems and processes and you know people engaged with it it would be the kind of thing that you know gets more attention but unfortunately it just doesn't get that nearly enough yeah
1: i think when the publishers i've consulted to i say to them you know this needs to be understood by the president it certainly needs to be understood by the sales director it certainly needs to be understood by the marketing manager it absolutely needs to be understood by the pr manager and in so many cases you know one of my little sport sporting activities is i go into the job boards and i look at you know descriptions of the marketing manager no mention of metadata you know yeah. sales manager no mention of metadata and you think how are you going to hire a sales manager who does not understand the role of metadata in the overall sales and marketing package, it, to me, that's ludicrous.
0: Yeah, it really is. And and publishers that don't have that are then missing out on all the opportunities that come with better quality data for their PR team and for their you know if you ha- if you don't have that upper management knowing enough about it to know that it's important and to yeah. be able to direct their staff in, hey go research this issue or go find you know let's let's do some digging on how we can handle these uh, these issues we're seeing in our data. You don't have to know everything. It's not yeah. like, you know, those strategic people need to be thinking about how do I how how do I change the HTML code in this, you know. That's not necessary on their level, but definitely on the strategic level thinking through how that's going to impact. And that comes to data, right? So when we're thinking about you know, from a strategic perspective as a publisher, how do I figure out what's important? How do I even know where to start? Uh, what would you say to a publisher who's trying to figure that part out? They, they, they know it's important. They've been convinced by our little conversation here that, hey, I, I need to be thinking about this. What would you say first and foremost for someone in that sales manager position, that PR uh, manager position, what do they do first to kind of just get a baseline understanding of what's important or, or, or all, all that detail?
1: Yeah, let me take it and go a little bit in a different direction with that. Um, There's so much that's important, right? So, you know, we've been through the years of them coming to an understanding of the basics. You know, Mm -hmm. the the basic fields are reasonably well understood. Um, You know, it's it's not surprising to tell someone that reviews, you know, posted on Amazon are going to have, you know, a, a positive impact. I think part of the you know, that makes me, reminds me that, you know, you say to someone, reviews have a positive impact in, in metadata, and they say, no, that's not metadata, those are reviews. And you say, no, every, everything that describes the book, everything that amplifies the message in the book, every tweet is a piece of metadata. Yeah. And I argue to them that, in fact, the book itself is a You know, meta instance of the metadata of itself, which really gets their eyes crossing. But it is every word in that book. You know, every every paragraph in that book is another opportunity uh, via Google Books, for example. You know, Mm -hmm. people will in searches get to a book on Google Books because of the content within there. So you know, there's a fundamental sense, and there at that point, I have to take them to the next level. And, you know, you say to them that there are these fields you know, that are less obvious. Mm-hmm. So how are we going to approach that? Well, we have to approach it experimentally. You know, you have to commit to uh, finding out what works best for you. And that means okay. setting up a, a number of tests and trying, you know, isolating which books you wish to impact and then trying different methods because there's, you know, lots of different costs and a degree of difficulty involved.
0: Yeah, and also for each publisher, it might be different just based on what you publish and 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 what market you really care about. If you're a publisher that doesn't care about Amazon, you're going to take a very different approach to your your metadata than someone who is only selling or only you know ninety five percent of their sales happen on Amazon. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's very a very different. Yeah, and the same thing for if I'm a fiction publisher, uh, exclusively fiction, or uh, if you're a you know an education publisher, it's a really different approach to data for those kinds of uh, those kinds of differences.
1: It sure is. That's a really good point. I, bringing up fiction, you know, in my let's say metadata practice, I I just skip right over fiction. It, <laughs> you know, there are things that can be done absolutely. But if I'm trying to get, you know, if a publisher only does fiction, obviously we have to come to terms with it. <clears throat> but most publishers who publish fiction have a lot of nonfiction as well. Mm-hmm. And I say to them, you know, we'll get to the fiction. Uh, there are things we can do. But the nonfiction is, is 10 times as malleable and uh, subject to influence by enhancement of metadata and you know, the other thing is to this distinction between front list and backlist. list. Yep. front list has a very different metadata status because there's active things going, you know, reviews are appearing. Mm-hmm. Um, where with the backlist reviews are no longer appearing. So you've got different kinds of data that are impacting the front list versus the backlist. So my emphasis to publishers is say, let's go deep into the backlist. Let's find the books. That, are, that still have activity, and we're going to move that activity forward. If you've got a book that's not has no activity, we're going to ignore that book. Um, yep. It's not worth trying to bring it back from the dead.
0: Yeah. And for anyone who's listening for the first time to the podcast or or haven't uh, haven't had a chance to listen to some of the more recent ones, uh, I would recommend you go back and listen to the last podcast uh, episode when I talked to uh, Todd uh, Satterston about you know the idea of frontlist versus backlist and where you know how to build out that that frontlist so you can get to the backlist um and some of the other other episodes where i've talked about similar topics the the backlist and and that you actually have a really awesome uh article um that i'll link in the show notes about the backlist and how important that is and kind of digging into some of the details on how backlist works um i agree 100% i think i think i keep saying this you know 69% uh, of all book sales according to mpd uh in 2021 uh were from the backlist uh, and we have a real need in the industry to rethink this idea that every uh, you know 95% of our work happens in the front list. Um, yeah. you know, if, you're, if your publishing company is, is getting so much revenue from that backlist and so many units are being sold in the backlist, it makes sense to focus more attention on that and try to figure out how to increase that. Even a small increase across 100 backlist titles can make a big impact on your bottom line. I
1: always say that to people, you know, you, you run the math. You know, yep. A 10% increase, if you're gonna put it across 100 titles, you're gonna get an ROI, absolutely. And yep. that's 10%, that's, that's a cinch for us metadata folks. You know, I can do that one in my sleep, but my target is, you know, can I move it by 30%, can I move it by 40%? That's the fun challenge for me, and I believe I can you know, yep. with a robust program, but with even you know, quite minimal changes, I think you know an afternoon spent with the BISACs and keywords is going to get you your ten percent right away.
0: Yeah, Let, let's talk a little bit about some of these specific metadata areas that you focus on when you're when you're talking to a client about uh, about you know metadata and fixing metadata issues. So BISACs, uh biasack codes. What are some of the recommendations that you tell people about getting subject codes on their on their product data?
1: number one, except that it's complicated, yep. you know, you've got 6,000 upwards of 6,000 choices in the BISAC directory. And so, you know, there, you want to look at that um, BISAC listing and become familiar with the uh, degree of granularity that is available on the BISAC uh, universe. Mm-hmm. It, it, it can be tremendously granular for certain topics and other ones, you know, there's only a top level heading. So, you know, the, you, you can, you have to focus on trying to find a, the ultimate degree of granularity. You have to accept the fact it may not be available. How do you choose the bisacks? I think the easiest, you know, first step is to get the comparables, find the titles that you feel you compete with most, directly for any particular backlist title, and for sure you're competing with someone and probably you're competing with four or five you know, other titles and look at what they've done with their BISACs um, and look at what Amazon has done to change their BISACs as well. Yep. But um, I think you know the proviso there is that because publishers, a lot of publishers have difficulty, you're looking kind of for consensus when you go and look at other people. Pay- Publisher's assignment of BISAC codes. In many cases, they don't have three codes. Uh, when they do have three codes, some of them are ludicrous. So don't treat that as gospel. It's uh-huh. just, it's like a conversation with those other books as to what the best BISACs might be.
0: Yeah, that's good. And, and there's, there's, also the issue of what by what codes are, or what subject categories are available on the retail websites You know, amazon doesn't follow yes. bisac right they, they've got their own little thing going on so as a publisher looking not just at you know at the bisac codes that were provided by those other publishers for those comp titles but also looking at where those titles show up um, on amazon might be beneficial as well great point yeah agree and then when you're thinking about the the value of, you know, as a publisher digging into BISEC, one of the things I will recommend as well to publishers is that they, they look at those categories where there aren't enough subcategories in them, enough subtopics in them. Um, and if there's enough value, enough uh, benefit in having some sort of subcategories in that, you can reach out to the BISG subject codes committee and request that that be added as a subject category in the next update to BISEC, because BISEC is updated every year. Um, they're going to look into the value of that across the industry. Not just for one publisher, but if you get enough support behind adding new bisect categories, that can actually help a lot. You know, if you're digging into, you know, publishing books in a certain category and you're not seeing enough depth in that list, uh, it is possible to expand that.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's a good point. Of course, it takes a little while because they do sure. it. You know, every summer the new list comes out. I think it, the requirement I saw at one point is you need to find a hundred titles within yep. a proposed new category. That's not a lot. And I, I agree, you know, if you're a successful backlist publisher, you have a subject focus or multiple subject focuses. Yep. And if you don't, you're not a very good publisher. So you have these multiple subject focus um, areas that, you know, that you really try and plumb more successfully than your competition. And as you're saying, you know, if you find out that you're, there, there isn't an available classification for some of your key titles, yeah, you've got to go to the BISAC committee.
0: So what about keywords? Uh, we talk about keywords all the time in, in the metadata world. Uh, what would you recommend for publishers who are trying to figure out what to do to really engage their keywords?
1: That's another tough one, right? And the, at, at first glance, it's so simple, right? Just you know, think of some of the words that describe this book and put them in the keyword field. You've got up to 250 characters. Um don't repeat words is fairly obvious um, uh, recommendation, but they do right. They, they the keyword stuffing is shameful yep. <laughs> to be. Uh, there's a little utility. Do you, you probably use the Booknet utility so you uh-huh. can see what other people are doing with keywords, and that's important. Again, in the same way that you want to look at the bisex you want to see what other people are doing with keywords. But Pete McCarthy was the first one who alerted me to the notion that you know keywords appear throughout the metadata that's on let's say Amazon so you know the title is keywords you know and more significantly the description is keywords the author bio is keywords and so don't waste the when you get to the keyword field recognize that you've already used some prioritized words in those descriptions and try you know, to go very carefully and see what else is missing. Uh, you have to be thinking through what are the main levers that drive a sale of a book, and make sure you've got keywords associated with those levers.
0: That's an interesting thought. I I, I know that uh, I know that Pete talks about the keywords in the description, and uh, that the keywords are actually indexed. I have never seen that actually happen. That keywords in a book description are words in a book description are indexed in search on Amazon. Uh, so it's it's one of those interesting things. Uh, Chris Sem from Kadaxis has done a ton of research on this, uh, and he swears that there's no there's no indexing of the book description. That the keyword field itself in your Onyx file is where Amazon is looking for for that that kind of search. Um, Interesting information. That's an interesting topic that I, I think obviously we can't come to a, you know, we can't decide on necessarily. Sure. But I'm, I'd be interested to hear from the, from the audience if you've done any research uh, on yourself about your own titles uh, to see what kind of difference you might you might have com- using keywords in your book description, you know, uh, versus putting them into the keywords field. That's it'd be interesting to see some data or some uh, some experience on that. Um, so keywords and and BISAC uh, and a lot of other fields. Um, that you put into your data have in some ways to do with discoverability and have other in other ways to do with conversion. Can you talk about um, your thoughts on the differences between discoverability and and findability and and conversion and these kinds of issues?
1: Absolutely. Findability and let's start with findability and discoverability. Um, A lot of people, you know, the, the word discover and discoverability um, has been you know, tightly associated with metadata for a long time. And I think people have a kind of you know, vague idea of what they mean by discoverability because it really does assume a, a zero state, right? That someone's coming in, um, not looking for your book and discovering it. Mm-hmm. If they're looking for your book, they're finding it you have debt metadata that makes it easy to find the book that people are looking for. So certain metadata, you know, the, the more rigorous kind of clerical metadata tends to be the stuff that makes a book findable. And that's absolutely, you know, essential because um, um, a certain number of people are indeed looking for that book. But when you go into the deep backlist in many, many cases, it's more important to have discoverability. So people are going into Amazon and saying, you know, I want a book on Greek cooking. Let's say, of course, there's a gazillion of those on Amazon. It'd be very hard to optimize your book against the competition, but let's assume there were only a hundred books on Greek cooking, but well, you want to be the one that gets discovered ahead of the other people. And you don't have to be number one, You know, if you're discovered in the top three to five, that, that will have an impact on sales. And indeed, you know, don't feel you've failed if you don't get the number one position, but you have to think, okay, what will people be searching for, for which my book is the answer? Yep. And then at that point we get to conversion. So let's say we've, you know, either they've come in looking for your specific book and found it, or they're looking for a book in that subject area and they've discovered your book. Now what happens you're, you're really a, at that point, like the clerk in the bookstore, they say, is this book any good? Uh-huh. Um, you know, is this book the one I'm looking for? Have you got other books on the same topic? And your metadata has to answer all of those questions because there's no clerk standing there making the sale. The metadata has to convert from discover,
0: find into that click buy. Yeah, And, and those elements that make a big difference on the convert side, uh, are going to be things like, does it have good images? Does it have look inside, right? Those kinds of things that make a difference for that person who's coming there and doesn't know anything about the book. They're going to look for a book description, and an excerpt. Uh, you know, They're going to try to see, is this really the book that I want? Uh, yeah. So it's important to have those elements there too, not just the keywords. Absolutely. Yeah. You want a grand and deluxe listing.
1: You want people to be delighted by the listing as much as, you know, they they understand the book is delightful as delightful as the images and the words that they're encountering in your listing.
0: Yeah. That's great. Well, that I think we're out of time. I appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Would you tell our listeners uh, where they can learn more about the work that you're doing and read the things that you write?
1: Um, My own website is the future of As it sounds, I do a lot of writing in publishers weekly as well. Um, So search my name on PW and you'll find all the recent articles, the article on the backlist, the article I did, a fun article on all the best books that I think anyone who's interested in publishing should have on their bookshelf that appeared relatively recently. So there's some fun things on PW as well.
0: Yeah. That's great. And again, I highly recommend that everyone go read all of that stuff. I think he's got an interesting uh, perspective and and definitely an important voice uh, in the industry. So Thad, thanks a lot for joining me. I appreciate you uh, coming on the podcast. Thanks for asking me and having me on board, Joshua. So that's it for this episode of the Book Sparts podcast. If you like what you've heard, please rate and review us in Apple Podcasts and Spotify and everywhere else that you listen. Uh, and if you have questions or you have thoughts or comments about the show, feedback, uh, feel free to email me at joshua at firebrandtech.com. Thanks for joining us and getting smarter about your books.